Let's pray. God, I'm thinking what Colleen said about independence and how how you desire us to be dependent on you and dependent on your body and how, how you do strip that from us. God, we do thank you for her healing, the cabin being done, and all the exciting things in her life. God, as I'm listening to all of these prayer requests, these praises, I'm thankful to God that you are a God who interacts with us. You're not some ethereal philosophy that we just kind of get together and think about. But God, you genuinely desire to mold our hearts together, mold us, sanctify us, make us more like yourself. Draw us to yourself. God, as we gather here this morning, we're just we're here to worship you for that. We're here to worship for all those things that you are. And we're so thankful for all the things that you've done in our life. And God, your word tells us that you will be with us even to the end of the age. And God, we trust that. And as we lift up these prayers to you, your word tells us to pray on a, with, with thanksgiving. And so, God, we thank you for the answers to these prayers. We pray that we'd be watchful and we'd, we'd pay attention to how you're moving in them and what you're doing. And that we'd be quick to thank you, quick to worship you. God, would you bless your word this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a fantastic time. You know, the word tells us that that Jesus gave us a new commandment. Love one another. And I've been chanting this in my mind for a couple of months because it seems odd to me that loving each other is in... It's all the way through the scripture. Why would Jesus say love one another is a new command and... What you just experienced is what Jesus meant by love one another. Right? It's beyond just the, the Romans 12 passage just says love must be sincere. We, we've prayed about these things, and there's so many little action points for us to remember what's going on in the body and, and, and what we can do tomorrow and who, we're, who, who we just scribbled on our list to say, you know what, God, you put that person on my, my heart because I'm kind of going through that same thing. I'll be praying for that person and checking up on him next week. Love must be sincere. My name is Chris Richards. I uh, am one of the pastors here, and I get to open the word for us this morning. And we're in Genesis chapter 24. And I'll let you find that. There are pew Bibles. And last week we did Genesis chapter 23. And last week we saw that Sarah, Abraham's wife, died and we saw that it was like a a one verse this woman died and then an entire chapter of trying to find a place for her to be buried and and we saw there that that God was pointing out to us how Abraham was investing he was taking 
the promise that he had given him and investing in that. And, and as I was studying through this section, it's funny, he's often doing it again. I really think that toward the end of Abraham's life here, he actually does really have faith that God is going to do exactly what God said he's going to do. And you see that. And, and we actually get the last words of Abraham in this section. So this is a narrative. This is the longest chapter in Genesis. Do you know that? In, in fact, Genesis 1, it only, took, it only took God about 31 verses to create the universe. And it's going to take him 60-something verses to find a wife for Isaac. And I don't know what that's saying about Isaac, but even if you throw in Genesis chapter 2, it still only comes to less than 60 verses. So he says it once and then re-says it so we can remember it. And he still is shorter than trying to find Isaac a wife. So there must be something here for us. So let's start in, in Genesis chapter 24. And I'm gonna, we're going to do this paragraph by paragraph. This is a narrative. If I were teaching this in Sunday school, many of you probably wish this was Sunday school. But this is a fully contained narrative. It's a story all by itself. It sits all by itself. And if I was in Sunday school, I would be dressed in a, in a robe, and I'd have a beard, and I'd be talking like this, and, and, and we'd have a great time, and, or, or maybe flannel graph. We could have you come up and put flannel graph on there, because this, this whole thing is, is a perfect story from, from beginning to end, showing us what's going on in, in Isaac's life. And in that, actually, there's some, a little bit of controversy as to whether or not somebody else wrote this passage and stuck it in there. Because it kind of lives all on its own. And maybe, maybe somebody just wrote it and, and plugged it in there by themselves. But it follows so perfectly after Genesis 23. Why would anyone think that? I don't know. Genesis chapter 24. I hope you've all found it. Starting in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, you think? Well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest in his household, who had charge of all he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you will go to my country, to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, Ooh, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give you this land. We'll send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning the matter. So first off, we have Abraham. So Abraham is about 140 years old right now. Three years ago, there's three years between 23 and 24, chapters 23 and 24. So Sarah's been, for, been dead for about three years. And Abraham knows, hmm, it's about time. I need to find my son a wife. 
And so he brings this servant in and says to him, I need you to make this oath for me. Now, the servant may or may, everything I read says, says I, have to, I have to mention this part. It may be Eliezer, who was the guy in chapter 15 who was going to be his heir when God told Abraham that he's going to give him the land and Abraham said, but I don't even have an heir. I don't have a son. It's this guy, this, this foreigner in my home is going to get everything I have. It may be him because it says that he's the oldest in the household. And if we go back to chapter 15, it's probably about 50 years ago. And it might be him. And if it is him, it makes it rather interesting that, that this Eliezer must really love Abraham because what he's doing is pretty much making in concrete the fact that he's going to get nothing. That Abraham's son Isaac will, be, will take the entire inheritance. The promise. What did he make him promise? First off, he said, make sure you do not get a wife from the Canaanites. Now, we don't have the law yet. Why did he do that? That was, a, that was an interesting, as I read that, I thought, well, why, why not? There's, no, there's nothing that, that God said you, you can't mix with them. Uh, we don't have that you can't marry heathen women or uh, no intermarriage. We don't have that until all the way out in Deuteronomy. And so why here? And we already have this thing setting up. But he did say, don't, don't take one from here. Go back to my kindred and find a wife for me there. And so all the way back here in, in chapter 24 in Genesis, we already see God saying, my people need to establish separation. Now, every time you say that, there are, there are two roads you instantly go down. One road is we all need to hold up in a cave somewhere to keep ourselves nice and pure because the world's going to get us. And then the other group says, you know, I'm going to be so much about the world because we have to win the lost that you start looking like the world. And that's not balanced either. That we're just going to kind of throw off the whole thing about being separated and holy in the eyes of God. And just be like the world exactly so we don't look any different. That way everybody loves us. And, and neither of those camps are, are right. But in here, we, we have this starting in Genesis chapter 4 and all the way through Scripture. In fact, I even had a, had a nice long discussion this week about this incident. And I didn't know it actually came this far back. But all the way through Scripture, God calls his people to be holy, to be set apart. And when we get to the actual law, uh, Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 7. Yeah, chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, it, he tells them flat out, do not intermarry with the people around you. And so Abraham is setting this out right away. But then he says, well, what if the lady isn't going to come with me? Do you want me to take your, your son back there? And Abraham about falls over and has a coronary right there because he, wait, he, you can't do that. Because if he leaves, he may never come back to the promised land. And, and we have the, the, the place where Sarah's buried now. We have this little kernel of the promised land. And if he goes back, he may never come back. And so we don't want him going there and getting mixed up with what's going on. Keep him here. And we see right now Abraham again, just like last week, he's investing in the promise. He knows what God has for them. 
And he's saying, do not mess with that. But going forward, did you know Isaac never left the promised land? Even after there's a famine, there's a famine in the land and, and God tells Isaac, oh, no, 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 you'd starve to death. You don't go anywhere. Do not go to Egypt because I want you to stay right here and I'll take care of you. And he does take care of him. Isaac never left the promised land from the time he was born all the way to the end of his life. That was interesting. Well, here's the part where, where I got the biggest question from. These are the last words in verses 6 through 9. These are the last words that Abraham speaks in Scripture to us. It says, Abraham said to him, See to it that you don't take him back there. The Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, he's going to send an angel before you. The God that called me to this land, he's going to send an angel before you and and you'll find a wife for my son. Don't worry about it. And and so then he ends it by saying, and, and if you don't, you're free from this oath. And as I pondered that, I thought, well, how come Abraham didn't say, can you go sit at the tent? Because this lady's going to show up and she's not going to know why she's here. She's been wandering around for two months, this direction, and she's eventually going to show up here. And you need to tell her that she's going to be the wife of Isaac. Now, in case I didn't make sense there, what I mean is, Abraham is is setting this big thing in motion where he's going to take all these camels and all of this stuff and his servant and they're going to make this two-month journey and they're going to go 800 miles back to where he came from. He's going to find a wife and he's going to bring him back all to see the providence of God, the hand of God move. And I said, well, wouldn't it have been just easier if you just brought the girl here? It would cost less money. It wouldn't have taken 60-something verses to do it. Just, she shows up. Why not that way? Anybody else ever think that way? Or where, where you just think, well, what, it, if in fact you're going to do it anyway. And so this led me into this little study of, of uh, fatalism versus providence. Where, how many of you think, you know, I, I really don't even really need to pray about that because God's got it. It's just going to happen anyway. I don't need to get up and go do that because if it's God's will, it's just going to happen anyway. It's going to, he's going to do what he wants to do. And, and it's like a big black hole in the universe and everything just slowly gets sucked into it. So it doesn't matter whether you get up in the morning or you don't get up in the morning, whether you pray for your neighbor or don't pray for your neighbor, whether you deliver the carrots or you don't deliver the carrots, whether you're nice to your in-laws or not, it just doesn't matter. Because God's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway. Do you ever... I mean, we, we sometimes think that way when we consider the sovereignty of God, right? Because what God's will is, God's will is. But here, we have this example of God's providence is definitely in motion, right? When we get down here a little bit further, we're going to see... The servant praying, God, lead me to this woman. And before it's even out of his mouth, boom, there she is. Oh, God's hand is all over this. But yet, the servant packed up 10 camels, made an 800-mile journey, did all of these things in obedience to God. And there's something here for us where 
yes, God's will is God's will. And, but understanding providence is to understand obedience. You see that? Yeah, universally, universally, what's going on is being, is in a gravitational toe in God's will. But God calls each of us to be an obedient peace in that. And we see that right here. Yeah, Abraham trusted in God's promise. And so Abraham said, it's time for me to find a wife so that this seed can produce offspring and take the promised land. And it's going to be as as many as the stars in the sky and the, the sand on the seashore. But he's taking a role in obedience to God. And so this thing between fatalism and, and, and providence, somebody, while we were praying this morning, who was that? That was Mr. McBurney, said, history is when man recognizes the providence of God in the affairs of men or something like that. That's the definition of, of history. I thought there's a pretty good definition. And so here we see God's hand moving in the life of Abraham, and he trusts that. And here's the place where, when, when I sit back and think of that, because I often think, is it, really, is it really going to affect the plan if I get up this morning or not? But yet... But yet God tells me, go into all the world and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. All these things are active. And then he says, oh, and lo, I'll be with you always. He's never going to leave me. All the things that we were praying about, God is never going to leave me. But yet all these things he commands me to do, I need to respond in obedience. And if I don't respond obediently, what does that mean? Is God, is God going to somehow have to turn off the remote control because I wasn't obedient? Is somebody, is somebody not going to get into the kingdom of heaven because Chris wasn't obedient? No, God's hand is going to move. But in the same way, if I don't respond obediently, that's sin. And he's commanded us to do these things. So this is, it's just a place where my mind gets, it just gets going and going and going because you have this place where, where God's providence is moving so obviously. But at the same time, there's so much motion. There's so much that these people are doing and you're seeing this thing collide. You're seeing, you're seeing the hand of God in providence and the motion of man and you're seeing this this beautiful picture occur and God's kingdom being glorified and growing. Oh, it's wonderful. All right, on we go. So the oath. Um, I'm going to just leave this for you all to study because this is funny. Um, he says, come and put your hand under my thigh. And that's just the funny one. Of, okay, there's three real, okay, there's a number of really funny things that you can read in the Bible. This is just one of them. And then when you go and kind of read what it really means, it gets even worse. So I'm just going to tempt you with that. Feel free to go read what it really meant to put your hand under my thigh. And, and it has something, well, feel free to go read that. The point is he did it. And it was very personal. And when the, when the oath was made... This man was going to accomplish 
what he promised he would accomplish. Or he would have never done that. And so the servant sets out on this trip. And let's go to verse 10. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Naor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, the time when the women go to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of Master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And who shall say, drink. And I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. 800 mile journey. One verse. But that's because this isn't about the journey. This isn't about the journey. This is about the providence of God and how God is moving to find this lady for Isaac. When we look at this prayer, though, he goes right away and he says, you know, he had his camels lay down and and it's time to pray. God, make this trip successful. It's been a long... He didn't say it's been a long trip, but he wants this trip to be successful. And so he said, God, can you please show me by, by having this beautiful lady floating above the ground and she floats by and the water just goes into her no nothing like that in fact he doesn't even ask for anything supernatural like a fleece or or something like that nothing in fact this prayer is very down to earth he says i'm sitting here uh another thing the prayer doesn't say because this is a, a tradition i guess it doesn't say that have the waters rise up to the top when she comes by and then go back down. And I guess that's a Jewish tradition that they said when Rebecca came by the spring, the spring rose up. And that's how he knew to go and talk to her. Hmm. Nope, doesn't say that. What it says is the woman that I go and talk to and ask her for a drink is going to simply say, and let me water your camels. This is a tremendously practical thing because... Rebecca is about to go be the wife of a nomadic herdsman. If she's not pretty good stock, she's not going to make it. And so it's a very practical prayer that she's going to go and water my camels. Now, to water these camels, this is kind of fun. The math guys are going to love this. All right, so the jar is this big, and you're going to fill it up once. And you've got to walk down into the spring, fill up the jar, and walk back out. And every camel drinks 10 or 25 gallons of water. I think that's true. We looked that up and it about says that. And this thing did not hold 25 gallons. It's going to take her two hours of walking in and out of this spring to fill up. She's all nasty and wet and we're not because it says she's really beautiful. Anyway, this is a worker. And so this prayer is a tremendously practical prayer. As we were praying this morning, I knew we were going to go there. And I'm thinking, God, are these, are these practical prayers? I hear 
God, give me a heart to love this person. Oh, yeah, that's practical. God, there's this person. We want to just pray that their eyes are open. Is that? Oh, that's practical. And so there's these things where as we're praying to the Lord to, to, to see people saved, to see just scales falling off people's eyes for all of these different things, they really are, these are things that, that we're asking God for that we can see happen. We're praying for fruit. God said, the, the fields are white for harvest. Pray that God will send you, that, that workers will go out into the field. Right? And that's what, so many of the prayers that we prayed this morning were that. Right? Practical prayers. Another piece to this is when we look at this sermon, I'm going to kind of jump back and forth and then we're going to close up here, but there, there's, a, there's an interesting way that this servant worked here. First, he prayed. This is a pattern. He got there. He asked the Lord to give him success. And then... When this girl came by, he got up and he acted. He responded to what God was doing. In the prayer, some of the prayers that we saw this morning, when, when we see God moving, we're going to move. When, when you go in and this neighbor says, hey, more carrots, or we're going to go over to their house, we're going to respond to what God is doing. Right? If, if somebody called you back and said, oh, thank you for the carrots, he said, oh, bye. That's not responding to what God's doing. God brought this girl. The the servant jumps up and goes and starts talking to her. And then it says, he sits and gazed at her quietly. He watched her work. Is she going to practically fulfill watering all the camels? And he just watched her as she worked. And then the next thing, after he responded to God, right away he worshiped. He said, God has granted me success. He was thankful and he worshiped God. In fact, it happened twice. Later on, after he gets to their house, they say, yes, she can come with you. He worships again. And so this pattern, he prayed, he responded to what God was doing obediently, and then he worshiped. And and as we do that, another thing that I was thinking this morning is we're praying. There's the first step. Response. We're going to respond to how God is doing it. Because when it says, um, be anxious about nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, bring your request to God. As God starts to move and we're responding to him, are we responding with that thankfulness of what he's doing? Because it might be no. For your community groups, because we're not going to talk about this this morning, but in just another place my head went. What if when he was done with that prayer, he looked up and there were no women? And he had to wait till tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Abraham waited 25 years to see the answers start happening. So it doesn't always happen that as soon as the, the, the prayer rolls off your tongue, boom, fruit just shows up. It doesn't always happen that way. It's a blessing when it does. But you don't see that consistently in the life of Abraham. You see Abraham persevering and persevering through these promises and believing these promises. So where are we right now? Now, this is a long passage, and we'll we'll finish it up next week. But what we're doing is we're looking for a wife for Isaac. So Abraham says, go, let's make make this covenant with me. I want you to go to this land where I came from, from my kindred, my brothers, my sisters, my father's house, and I want you to find a lady there and God will send an angel ahead of you so that it'll work. So the servant goes and now he's met 
Rebecca. Rebecca is the one who comes to the well, waters all the camels, and after that, the servant gets up, puts jewelry on her, and says, Who are you? Who are you? And not only is she just a lady who's going to be working hard, but by golly, if it's not one of Abraham's relatives, just exactly like he wanted. Again, you see the providence of God here, right? He, ha- he already had this woman just sitting there. She, he's, she's ready. She's just ready, waiting for this servant to come and pick her up. And eventually the servant goes to their house and they have some, some negotiations for the bride. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Let's pray. God, I am, I guess in awe is the word, but I'm just in awe that your hand of providence is always moving among us. We don't always respond. We don't always see it. God, it is Romans tells us, we don't even always give you credit for what's happening. So God, I would, I would pray that as we start into this passage and and as we finish it up next week, Lord, that, that we would see your hand of providence moving in our lives and that you would cause us to respond obediently to you, that, that your glory would be manifest, that, that your kingdom would grow and that that's what we would be about. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.